So, Russell, what do you think about this new pencil thing that Apple are putting out? Well, Apple are making a pencil. Haven't we, haven't we already got pencils? Yeah, no, but this is like a special pencil. It's the Apple pencil. So, therefore, it must oh. be special. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm just feigning ignorance. I, I don't really have anywhere to go with that joke. Um, <laughs> what, what do I think of it? It's, I mean, it's interesting. It's obviously not the first stylus in the world. It's not the first pressure-sensitive stylus. It's not the first you know, thing that can write on a computer screen. But I guess it is interesting, though, when you think about it, that if this thing takes off and becomes, you know, a mass market thing, are there some uses for which, you know, a pencil or a stylus, if you want to use its technical name, is a better, you know, interaction model? Or is it just different, you know? Well, actually, that has been something that's kind of been, I guess, rattling around in my brain the last couple of weeks that you know since since they announced it because i mean user interfaces and the way that you deal with you know your phone your tablet your computer etc it's kind of interesting to watch like because you see you see it a lot in not just in real life obviously user interfaces change and we see them get we we get new ways of interacting with devices not saying that styluses are particularly new but you know they do change they you know they uh they go through like a metamorphosis of 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 sorts like you know i remember as a kid like really the the major way and still really the major way that you you interact with a, a computer is a keyboard and probably a mouse or a mouse like device maybe it's a trackball do they even exist anymore i don't know <laughs> i don't know if they exist i mean as I mean, I remember as a kid, I, I don't know if I'm slightly older than you. We should find this out in a future episode. But I remember when the interface to a computer was text only. So I remember being, you know, six or seven years old and having one of the first um, sort of IBM computers and everything was text-based. You know, you were in DOS and you typed on the keyboard. Like you typed, you know, DIR and you got a directory list and you typed gibberish and you got, you know, was a bad command or file name or something like that. And it, it it's funny, like it's, it's not a very logical way to interact with anything because you have to know all the commands up front. Like there's there's no real help. Like, you know, you, you can sort of fire off help commands and stuff. But if you've never used, um, you know, a keyboard interface, you can sit there for hours and you'd be like, I don't know what the hell is going on. There's nothing to like intuit about it, I guess. You, you've got to know it all. And then, you know, there's that old saying that once you get really good at a keyboard interface, then, you know, you can be really fast because your keys are at the fingers are always on the keys and you're just like bam, 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 bam. And I saw an interesting thing when um, this bank that I bank with a lot moved from, you know, their DOS-based keyboard system into like yep. a more, you know, quote-unquote modern system where they had a mouse and suddenly they had a pointing interface. And the thing I noticed for a full month is everything was slower because you could see all the staff, they're like struggling with it. They're like, oh, normally I'd press, you know, D, G, B, A, enter, colon, backslash, and now I'm sitting here going click, click, click. And... It was interesting to see that transition, but I think the good thing about, you know, the whole graphical user interface and pushing a mouse around the screen is suddenly you can guess at the things you're meant to do. You know, it looks a little bit like a desktop. You've kind of got files on it. You know, if you click on something, things happen. You can drag things around. You know, there's there's a little bit more kind of, I guess, real-world, you know, examples. I mean, it's not, strictly speaking, like the desk that I'm sitting in front of right now, but, you know, you can poke around with the mouse and you can slowly figure out, you know, what's going on. And that's interesting, right? Because uh, that that I mean, even though you've moved from something that's where you're uh, inputting via just a keyboard to inputting, you know, graphically, and all of a sudden there's you know some sort of you're almost touching, like you're almost touching like the 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 screen, and then we moved into you know 
uh, obviously, you know, a few, I guess, a few years ago, really, you know, touch screens became a really uh, a really commercial thing, and so you know, suddenly everything had a touch screen, and uh, even then, it's still like there's a bit of separation there, and it differs from regular like regular stuff like. Uh, you, you use uh, there's a gif that I see all the time, which comes from a show called Gravity Falls, and you've probably seen it, uh, where it's dudes trying to use a glass, and they're like they you know licking the bottom of it and licking the side and trying to <laughs> yeah, you know, and they're trying to find all these different ways of uh of you know get drinking out of a glass. Basic objects have really basic interactions. Most peop most regular people know how to use a glass. Like you know, it's it's quite obvious, and most people know how to use like a hammer or, or whatever. Like the 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 interactions with those things are obvious, and and computers not necessarily so because there is some separation. Even even when you're touching a screen and touching a thing, and it's becoming less and less like that as we kind of blur that line, that blur the glass. Is that yeah. is that a kind of a cool phrase to use? <laughs> Let's blur the glass. I, I think it is, and it isn't. I think. The thing about the real world is once you learn all the laws of the real world, like if I hold something up and then I let go of it, that thing's going to hit the ground and it's going to hit the ground at a, a fairly constant speed and there's a whole bunch of things you can predict. And so if I walk up to something brand new like in the real world, I already know all the laws that govern it. So I might not know what the thing is or how to use it, but I can you know, figure it out pretty quick. And I think the funniest thing about the, the mouse-to-touch interaction is I remember when we first got um, my grandparents a computer so, you know, they're all excited about, you know, I think the internet wasn't even around back then. They were excited about Encarta or something, who who knows. And yep. my my grandfather, he got it instantly. And he's like, yeah, okay, I'll push this forward and this little cursor on the screen goes forward. And my grandmother, she struggled. She's just standing there staring at the cursor and then she'd look down at the mouse and then she'd look up at the cursor and you could see her move to go and click something. But the problem is she'd have to kind of stop where the object is and now she'd have to look down back at the mouse to try and click. And as yep. she was doing that, she'd drag the mouse, you know, 20 icons away and the other one is she really struggled with what happens when you get to the edge of the mouse mat you know something really natural for anyone who's ever used a mouse but she just stopped she's like well there's there's no more mouse mat like what do i do now and i think these are all the things that touch solves you know once you have a touch interface you it's a more direct manipulation like you're saying like your finger is actually going out and pushing the thing that's on the screen but the thing that you're missing is uh, the rules are constantly changing so from app to app you know there's not there's not necessarily like a single set of rules that says if I push on the screen here, this is exactly what's going to happen. Like you don't have that same level of certainty, if you know what I mean. Right, right. So what like essentially different apps have different rules about, you know, what each action does and then that kind of can confuse, I guess, the, the, the user because they don't necessarily know what they're going, what they should expect from that. Yeah, it, it's like if you look at physical TVs when they did that stupid thing that went from um, push buttons to those yep. kind of touch sensitive like no buttons buttons and they annoy the heck out of me because you can't with a push button you look at it you know, okay I can see there's some depth if I push that in something's going to happen with one of those touch surface things like it's like you kind of swipe your finger on it or you put your finger on it you don't really know like you know how you're meant to interact with this thing and, and what's meant to happen and I think touch interfaces are kind of the same like things sometimes look like buttons sometimes they don't you know sometimes you have gestures we have to drag things up and down with like one or two fingers and there's nothing that really tells you, you know, apart from if there's a tutorial or something, what you're actually meant to do. Like it's it's simpler than using a mouse, but I still don't think, you know, it's the most natural interaction model 
you know, ever available that if you sat someone down, let's say who's 15 years old, who'd never, ever touched a touch device and be like, hey, use this, you know, send an email or do something like they'd probably figure it out, but it would take them, you know, a decent amount of time, I think. What about in like the future? Like what, you know, we're seeing like a fairly logical progression from, you know, very separated interfaces to them becoming a lot more kind of intuitive i guess like we see a lot of stuff in in movies like you know take star trek for example it's a fairly common thing where you know they had uh at least at least in kind of the later series you know they had touch screens that you that, that they touched and uh you know the l cars interface and what's not whatnot and then they had you know even since the beginning, they had uh, vocal commands. You know, they talked to the computer, and Major Barrett, uh, you know, spoke back. Do you think that, like, it's that we we could head in a similar direction? Movies do tend to kind of somewhat embellish things that already exist in a, is to a certain extent, but they do tend to kind of go in the direction that real user interfaces are going. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, like you you think about on Star Trek, they're actually carrying around. Um, tablet type devices, you know, into meetings and things. So they had these really thin uh, tablets, and that's how they'd, you know, talk to whatever their commanders, you know, far, far away. So yeah, I yep. mean, that, that concept was in there. And I mean, even even uh, stuff that's you know not necessarily set in the future, like for instance, say Iron Man. Um, you know, Iron Man in the Marvel movies uses, uh, you know, you are quite often seeing him um, using a interface that's holographic in nature. Um, and you know he uses motion gestures to you know move things around. Um, it's it's the sort of thing where like that's the sort of direction that movies think that we're going. Do you think that that's possibly a direction that we we are going to go? Like with things like motion, uh, like moving your arms about and using vocal commands and stuff like that. I think in some senses. I mean, the thing you have to be aware of is when you're designing uh, a movie interface. Yes, you want it to be futuristic, but it has to be. Um, highly visual because movies yeah. are, a, you know, a visual sort of interface. So imagine if Iron Man could just control stuff, you know, with his mind and you don't see or hear anything, that would make for a really boring movie. You know, you'd, ha- you'd have to do other things to make up for it. But I think the reason they go for the full-on, you know, 3D holographic interface in, in movies like that and I guess in some senses Minority Report, um, a little bit in Avatar as well, is because that looks impressive. You know, when you're a movie audience sitting down and you're like, oh, wow, that's that's futuristic and it's very visual and look at him kind of swiping um, his hands around. You know, is it is it more intuitive, you know, if things are holographic and in 3D? I'm, I'm not sure. Like it all depends on, you know, the interaction models that, that you come up with because I think one of the things in real life is when I reach out for something and touch it, like I actually physically feel it and I do wonder if that's going to be kind of the next wave of user interfaces. Um, when, when you think about it, like Apple's got this this pencil thing, they're also introducing, you know, a thing that they call 3D touch. But the whole concept is they're they're trying to recognize different, you know, pressure that you're putting on the screen, and they're trying to give you some actual physical feedback to that pressure. And yep. I think it's still early days for that. You know, I haven't touched a 6S yet. Like I'm sure, you know, pe- people will shortly have them in their hands, and they'll be, you know, telling us all about them. But the thing is, it's very primitive at this stage. You know, you push down and you get a one level of vibration feedback, you push a bit more, you get another level. It, wouldn't it be amazing if you could actually feel like the elements on the screen? Like you imagine running your finger over a touch screen and actually being able to feel like all the, you know, the buttons on there and the different surfaces and, you know, if yeah. one surface is of a particular type, it's a bit grainy. If there's a button, you can kind of feel, 
the edges of it. And maybe when you push in, like imagine if it actually felt like, you know, it was pushing in, then that that would be a pretty cool interface because, you know, not only would you have all the visual cues about, oh, is that a button? Is that not a button? Can I push that? You know, can I not push that? You'd have the physical cues as well, which you get in the real world. You know, you're mentioning you pick up a hammer. You know, you pick up a hammer and you instantly feel, wow, this is like really weighty at the end. Like the wood kind of goes around my hand and there's something very intuitive about that. You're like, okay, I can feel how heavy this is if I was to swing it. You know, I'd be able to bash nails into a piece of wood. So do you think that that's the next step then, like just having uh, ha- having more feedback from interfaces or is it, or, or do you think it kind of goes one step further? No, I, I think that's that's maybe the next logical step. I think the interesting thing is that um, the voice input that you mentioned feels like another branch. Like that's something else entirely. Like when you and I right now, like we can't see each other. I see this little picture of, you know, a green jelly avatar and, and I forget what my Skype picture is, but you see that on the other end. And we're using voice alone to interact. And that's, that's extremely natural. You know, we, we know how to talk. We learn it from a very young age. You know, communication is, you know, drilled into us. And it's a key part of, I guess, being human and, and being part of society. And the, the problem with that is you have to get it really, really good before it becomes like a, a proper interface. Like if it's like mm. the, the old MS DOS days, if you have to know all the commands, if you have to think about all the commands, if you have to sit there and, you know, read help documents and stuff, then that's not a very useful voice interface. But if there's some way of getting to the point that no matter what I say to a computer, it can get the context and the meaning of that and actually give me a response and it can do that reliably, then that could also be, you know, a future interface. So, I mean, my only concern there is, you know, is it socially acceptable? I don't know if you've seen the movie, you know, Her, where basically every computer is, you know, an audio-based interface and that's how you communicate with them, it looks really awkward when you watch that movie. People just walking down the street, you know, all talking basically at their cell phones, which I don't know. There's that there's that hurdle to overcome. Do you, do you know what I mean? I do know what you mean, and I've I, I, I've actually seen that stuff in in Star Trek as well. There's um there's a uh, there's an episode in Voyager that I uh, that I saw recently where one of the characters is uh, like he he wakes up really late at night and you know leaves his partner in the bed or whatever uh and goes to you know use the computer kind of quietly but the computers in star trek don't have keyboards or any other input like you know the the ones that sit on desks and stuff they they just vote like they just use vocal commands and they uh you know they they display information based on what you ask for and so here this guy is and he's sitting you know at a computer and he's he's talking really quietly because he doesn't want to wake up his partner who's asleep only like 10 feet away. And it kind of points out that a lot of these interaction models, they have a lot of limitations. You know, vocal stuff is no, you know, it's it's no good if you're in a situation where you can't be noisy or if it's not socially appropriate to be talking. Yeah, like you're, you're in a toilet cubicle, for example, and you're like, oh, I might just, you know, browse and have my phone read my news back to me. And Right. I think it's a long time before that's, you know, a socially acceptable thing to do. And, I mean, obviously that stuff changes over time. Like social things that are socially acceptable, they ch- it changes. It it would have been very weird if you'd been walking around in, you know, the even the early, maybe the early 90s with, you know, a little rectangular slab of glass held to your ear. Um, maybe earlier than that. 80s yeah yeah that's right i guess we did have the walkman which is probably the closest thing that people used to carry around and put like headphones on and that sort of thing 
Right, but, but I mean, it, even that was weird for its time. Yeah, and I mean, it, but that sort of stuff becomes a lot less kind of socially awkward. Uh, things like Bluetooth headsets, right? Bluetooth headsets when they first came out, they were really socially awkward. It felt really weird to. You know, they were kind of, they were looked down upon because of, you know, because they made you look like you were talking to yourself. They kind of still do make you look like you're talking to yourself, but they are. <laughs> like, you see them I, a I've lot I've always more. said that if um if I ever go crazy, that's the first thing I'm going to buy so that people won't be able to tell. I've <laughs> the- got a Bluetooth headset on, so... <laughs> but you see them a lot more, right? Like, nowadays, you see them a lot more. They're still not, like, perfectly acceptable, but you see them a lot more, and uh, it, it's it slowly changes. And you know, obviously, it's now completely normal for somebody to talk to their phone. So you know, it that you, obviously there's still you know situations where that's not appropriate. Don't take phone calls in the movies, people. But you know, it's <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's it become it changes over time. And I think you know, when it comes down to it, like probably the best interaction model for computers and stuff like that is going to be actually not just one interaction model but multiple interactions vocal touch touching things maybe maybe you know movements and gestures and stuff like that that kind of all can be used not necessarily interchangeably but you know they they kind of all uh you know change the way that you're interacting with the device and so you know you're not necessarily in I don't know, in church flailing your arms about or, you know, trying to get <laughs> Siri to, you know, tell you the answer to a question. But, you know, the combination of a of a bunch of different interactions allows you to use the one that's appropriate for the time. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely what's in the new future. But if, if I can get a little bit um, futuristic with you, if you boil it down to it, if you think about it right now, like why are you and I sitting in front of a computer? And we're sitting in front of a computer because um, it's the easiest way for me to Skype to you uh, while still having like, um, you know, notes that I can look at and uh, other places where I can chat and being able to record this podcast as well, you know, which is important to us. And if you think about the other reasons you use a computer, like I use a computer day-to-day to uh, to email people, to message people, to, you know, write code into a thing, to run it in a simulator to see what it's going to look like, it's... It's probably a fair way off, but I think the future of computing is actually no interface when you think about it because imagine if we could do everything that we're doing now just without a computer. Like imagine there's some, you know, let's say a little chip implanted in, you know, maybe, I don't know, my hand or maybe stuck to my body or in a piece of clothing um, that just does all that. Like I can be just like, hey, call Jelly, you know, record the conversation. Uh, When we're done, you know, send it to him. And we could have this whole conversation and potentially even see each other without you know needing to wear glasses or having a monitor like it, it you'd have to think that eventually and this is probably a fair way off that you know there should be a computer should be able to simulate me being able to see things so i see things in the real world because you know light hits the back of my eye and that gets processed into an image but there's no reason down the track why some kind of computing device couldn't trigger me seeing things that aren't there if you like so i could be able to see like a yeah, you know, like a hologram of, of you sort of standing there and we could have a interaction without, you know, you actually being here. And the same reason, you know, why do I need to type stuff on a keyboard? It's because that's the easiest way to get, you know, the things that are in my head into the computer in, in a format that it needs. But if there was some way to actually ex- extract that from thought, then I mean that 
that would be pretty amazing. And I don't, I don't think we're anywhere near that, but that feels like the future of computing to me is a computer is a utility. You know, it's, it's often a thing you do to communicate with friends or to get work done. There's really no need, no reason that you actually need a computer for that. If you can remove all of that sort of layer of things and just make it a natural part of, you know, the things that you do day to day, just as part of, you know, part of life without having to turn anything on or connect to the internet or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, have a keyboard, have a mouse, have a pencil. I mean, I don't know what you think, but that feels like the future to me. I I, I definitely think that you, uh, you're, you're right there. Like, I, I think that that's, that that's probably the ultimate, like the ultimate thing. I think it also kind of comes along with um, some amount of artificial intelligence. Yeah. Uh, because obviously, you know, there's certain things, you know, and it, it, it possibly even goes further than just, you know, uh, you know, knowing like what you mean when you say record the conversation, send it to Jelly when you're done. Uh, it, it might be that you know it knows that when you get on on a you know you initiate a conversation with me, it all automatically knows to record it and send it. But also, you know, kind of even further than that, looking at things like uh, you know, for instance, programming. Both you and I, we develop we develop software for a living. That's you know that's what we do, and uh. Yeah, I think like, and obviously that's going to be a lot more difficult. If if you take away a keyboard, it becomes a lot more difficult to create code, to write code, because of the uh, the sheer kind of complexity of, of of the syntax that goes along with it. Yeah, like that, it's possible to do that today. Like I've seen people coding with just their voice, but it's right. It's harder. Like it's it not is harder as easy. In order to kind of be able to move past, you know, move past a keyboard, move past that input. We almost need to change the way that we do things just in general. And so the the fact that we program things the way that we do now, I, I think before the keyboard kind of disappears, the way that we actually do programming is going to change. And I'd like to and that's something that I'm kind of really interested in because I think rather than you know writing code, writing everything down, it'll be it'll become we'll get to a certain point and you see this with, you know, the tools that Apple provide and uh, other you know other tools that are out there obviously where you kind of join up the various different bits and pieces and you know there's a lot of developer tools that are kind of heading in that direction and I think you, you kind of lay out what you want the app to do and all of a sudden it you know it figures out the rest for you that sort of stuff is at a really kind of young stage at the moment yeah, but you know, in the future, that's going to like obviously that changes, and so that's where I think like the the intelligence part come, kind of comes along with it, and the more intelligent that our computers get, the less likely that we need things like you know a keyboard in order to be able to input uh, input commands. Oh yeah, I, I I think absolutely, but I think the the flip side of that is that if uh, one of my favorite hobbies is to find um, you know books and drawings and things from let's say the nineteen twenties predicting you know, what the 1950s and the 2000s would look like. And what you often find is that people predict that, you know, massive changes are coming way too early. So, you know, people said that in the year 2000 we'd have flying cars and we'd have cities underwater and we'd have like, you know, colonies on the moon and on Mars and we'd kind of be exploring space. But really like we've done a lot of amazing things, but, you know, we're still on this planet. You know, there's no undersea colonies. There's there's no flying cars, you know, for various sort of practical reasons. There's there's no one kind of living on the moon. You know, there, there is an international space station that goes around, but it's it's almost like, you know, we can kind of see the future and we're like, yeah, you know, this is eventually going to get here. But I think it's it's probably going to get there a lot slower than, than most people expect. Like 
I would be super surprised if in my lifetime we got much further than um, just getting rid of the keyboard and mouse and maybe replacing them with, um, you know, voice input and probably some kind of, you know, 3D uh, type interactive, you know, surface or display or or some kind of visual thing that I'm interacting with with my hands and then I'm importing, you know, text and stuff with my voice. I'd, I'd You know, hopefully I live long enough to see more than that, but I think that might be all that we, you know, we get in our lifetime. I, I don't know. Like even even moving past that sort of stuff still requires some amount of intelligence. I, you know, artificial intelligence that is, it's consistently improved. Like it is consistently improving slowly. You don't necessarily see it. Obviously, the keyboard is still around and has been since really you know the beginning of computing. But uh, the we're getting to a point where everything is kind of growing and moving along at almost an exponential rate. And I, th- I feel like it's not quite there and it might not be there in the next five years or even the next 10, but but soon, but soon. Yeah, I mean, potentially. But but like I say, there is the tendency for people to, especially when they're futurizing stuff, to just go way too quickly. Like often there's there's a lot of, lot of small increments, like increment, 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 and then suddenly there'll be like a big leap. And then after the big leap, there'll be like, you know, 10, 15, 20 years of just, you know, small increments. Like I, like you said, I, when I was born, there was keyboards and, you know, 35 years later, I'm sitting in front of a keyboard. It's, it's a nicer keyboard, but not, not a lot about the keyboard has changed. And I mean, the same is true of the mouse today as well. Well, I mean, the, one of the things that has changed about the keyboard is the fact that it's now like that now, uh, they're moving beyond like a physical thing. Like you don't necessarily have, uh, computers that have a physical set of buttons all lined in a specific, you know, uh, like sequence. Um, that's, that sort of stuff is going away. And all of a sudden we're, we're starting to see, uh, well, not really all of a sudden. We've been seeing it for a few years now, <laughs> but, uh, you know, we, we, we've started to see, uh, software keyboards, you know, that can do more than what the, what physical keyboards can do. Um, you know, they can show you different layouts and different, uh, different characters. Um, if you, if you so feel like, if you feel the need to, I mean, you can, you can use them to create images and stuff like that now. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely some advantages to that, but at the same time, you know, we started off this podcast talking about the iPad Pro. What does the iPad Pro ship with? A connector where you dock a keyboard because for raw text input, like a physical keyboard is still best. Like there are some things that software controls do way better. Like they can rearrange themselves, you know, based on what you're currently doing. And that's awesome. A physical keyboard, you know, can't really do that. But at the same time, you know, it's it's 2015, there's a brand new device from Apple and it still ships with a keyboard accessory and that's, you know, that's the professional way to take letters and put them into the computer. Oh, and in the future, there will be robots. Just thought you should know. Robots. Boom. But robots, they go robots. boom. Robots in disguise. And what's the flight of the concourse thing? They'll poison our asses with poisonous uh, gases. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That'll happen too. Boom. <laughs>